Hey y'all, it's Dr. Samina Rahman, gyno girl. I'm a board certified gynecologist, a clinical assistant professor of OBGYN at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, and owner of a private practice for almost a decade that specializes in menopause and sexual medicine. I'm a South Asian American Muslim woman who is here to empower, educate, and help you advocate for health issues that have been stigmatized, shamed, and perhaps even prevented you from living your best life. I'm better than your best girlfriend and more open than most of your doctors. I'm here to educate so you can advocate. Welcome to Gyno Girl Presents Sex, Drugs, and Hormones. Let's go. Hi, y'all. It's me, Dr. Samina Rahman, Gyno Girl. I'm so excited about today's episode. I had the opportunity to interview a very lovely patient of mine on her journey with clitoral pain, which we call clitoridinia, and we're going to call this patient Crystal. And I wanted to highlight in this episode the association between the spine and sexual function. And I think that oftentimes gets missed either from clinicians, from patients, from surgeons, etc. And it's not emphasized enough because it can really impair someone's quality of life. And so today we're going to speak specifically about the cauda equina, and I'll define that in my podcast, cauda equina syndrome and clitoral pain. And I also review sort of our regional-based approach to different genital pelvic dysthesias, which is just an abnormal sensation of pain, basically. And so I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed it. I have so many wonderful patients that are willing to come up and advocate for other patients. And so I, I really, really appreciate that. And so again, my goal here is to educate so you can advocate. And let's listen to the episode today. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to another episode I am so excited today. I have the opportunity. I've I've so many amazing patients who have had so many amazing journeys. And one of the things on this podcast that I want to do a little bit differently was to bring on actual people that have gone through a journey of either in their menopause journey or sexual dysfunction journey and kind of, you know, talk about how especially the ones that are big advocates. These in this day and age, self-advocacy has been really huge in promoting and trying to get the word out about all of these issues, whether it's clitoris, whether it is um, sexual pain, whether it is menopause management. And a lot of the voices that you're hearing nowadays are actually patients that have gone through it. And it's really important to understand these stories. And they may or may not relate to you. In one of my last episode, I did talk about precision medicine and how, you know, I don't practice cookie cutter medicine, that everything is individualized. And so I really wanted to emphasize that, you know, um, some of these journeys are really important and, and can give you an example of how to sort of advocate for yourself, because that is a big thing that I feel is prominent and paramount in helping patients overcome very complex problems. And so today I have a very lovely patient and she's been with me for a couple years now and we've been working together. We're going to discuss her journey with clitoral pain. But specifically today, I wanted to build awareness on how the spine and other parts of the body are involved with various types of sexual dysfunction. So I'm let Crystal uh, introduce herself, and then I'm going to just delve into a brief overview of how that happens, and then we're going to hear her journey. Thank you for joining me, Crystal. 
Hi, Dr. Rahman. Thanks for having me. As Dr. Rahman said, my name is Crystal. I'm a 41-year-old female patient of Dr. Rahman, and I live in the Chicago area. Amazing. Thank you. I, you know, I ask all my, I ask myself and I ask my patients many uh, on, on this podcast so far that, you know, are you brave or are you shameless? But Crystal is totally brave. <laughs> and for coming on today, she really believes that building awareness for these issues, you know, if it helps someone else, then, I, you know, I'm all for it. So I wanted to briefly describe in the last few years how we've looked at different types of dysthesia. A dysthesia is an abnormal pain sensation. And so when we think about, remember when we think about pain and your nervous system, remember we have a central nervous system that includes your brain and your spinal cord. And it's really important to remember that our nervous system is very complex. And so when patients develop pain disorders, it can come from a variety of sources. And so over the last few years, uh, I'm very prominent in the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health, which is ISHWISH. Um, and in the last few years, Ishwish as an organization, you know, has come together with a regional and, and some other, you know, very prominent leaders come together f with sort of a rough algorithm and how to address patients with complex pain issues in the pelvis that can cause sexual dysfunction. And it is a regional approach to this. So, you know, I'm going to do an episode on persistent genital arousal disorder, which is PGAD. This is another form of genital pelvic dysthesia. And so this is important to know because all of these different sort of neuropathic pain issues can be addressed in multiple ways, and it's a multimodal approach with multiple specialties involved. And that's very key to understanding. Additionally, it's important to know that, uh, again, I said this in my other podcast as well, that we approach things from a biopsychosocial perspective because we know that sexual dysfunction um, needs to be addressed not only from the biological perspective of what's happening from a biological point of view, but we know that our brain is very much involved in all of this and social situations and cultural situations also contribute to sexual dysfunction. So again, biopsychosocial approach as well as multidisciplinary. So these are the things that I want you guys to remember. So again, just going back to the regional approach to sexual dysfunction or dysthesias, we talk about really treating the end organ, which is could be, you know, your clitoris and it could be your vestibule and it could be any part of the vulva. So you look for issues around that. The next region is really the pelvic floor, the muscles that contribute to the pelvic floor. I'm going to have my therapist, my pelvic floor therapist on an episode coming up as well. So treating those muscles, when people are in pain, they tend to clench. When they clench, their muscles become super hypertonic, which means that they become weaker and many times cause additional issues with sexual dysfunction and sexual pain. So pelvic floor is very important. The next region is the cauda equina. So let's take a step back and just talk about what our central nervous system is. Remember, it's the brain and the spinal cord. Your spinal cord travels in the back along with your vertebrae, which is basically your backbone. And you have a cervical portion, a thoracic portion, a lumbar portion, and a sacral portion. And these nerves travel within that canal and can get compressed and can get, and they end at the cauda equina, which I think is Latin for horse tail, because all these nerve roots then converge into what is known as the cauda equina that eventually, you know, the sacrum and the cauda equina kind of feed into the pelvis. Those are the nerve roots for the pelvis. 
And so this is important to know anatomically because when we think about our pelvis and sexual function, we think about especially those sacral nerval roots and the quadroquina really contributing to to sexual dysfunction or pain down there. And so that is region three and region four because the fourth region is the lumbar sacral spine. And remember, one of the biggest reasons people get seen, I think over 90% of patients at some point in their life will have lower back pain. And that usually comes from that lumbar area. Uh, I'm married to an interventional pain doctor who is a spine doctor. And so I, I, a lot of people joke that I'm the one gynecologist that can diagnose what we call lumbar and sacral radiculopathies very readily because he taught me a lot when I opened my practice. And so... Um, <laughs> And so I think that it's really important to understand that. And then the fifth region, when we talk about pain and these dysthesias, the genital pelvic dysthesias or the persistent genital arousal disorder is the brain. So the brain is, in, again, in the central nervous system, what that and the spine work together, you know, your nervous system sends these signals from the brain to the spine to your peripheral nerves. Those peripheral nerves then send signals to the organs and sometimes the nerve endings and those end organs get affected. So it's a regional approach to pain. I reviewed what the spinal cord, the cauda equina, and the central nervous system are. And now I'm going to give it back to Crystal. And she's going to tell us how she developed back pain, how this back pain developed into a surgical emergency. And I will interject what cauda equina syndrome is when she talks about it. And then we're, she's going to tell us how that left her with a an interesting um, form of genital pelvic dysthesia known as clitoral dynia or clitoral pain. Okay, Crystal, it's back to you now. Sure. So in 2011, I was mm -hmm. 29 years old and I was really big into running. I guess I should mm -hmm. maybe say jogging. I don't think it was yeah. quite a run. <laughs> and I started to develop some hip pain on my left side mm -hmm. and couldn't shake it. And I, I did all the stretching, just couldn't shake it. So I went and saw my primary care physician and she went and checked to see if I had like a reflex in my leg and ankle and she didn't get one in my ankle. So that told her it was a lower back issue. So she recommended, I guess he was a orthopedist. And she actually apparently went to school with him. She was a resident with him. So I went and saw him. Mm -hmm. I got an MRI done and I had a pretty severe disc bulge in like my L5S1. And he told me, he's like, you know, Crystal, this is pretty bad, like for a 29-year-old. And I'm like, well, what did I do? And we couldn't really pinpoint it. So he told me he would recommend surgery. So a disc bulge or a herniated disc, you have discs um, that are cushions that are in between each vertebrae. So she's talking about the lumbar vertebrae, which is L5. And then the next one that is right under it is the S1 or the, one, the sacral vertebrae. So in between those are cushions that help, you know, with shock and everything when you're, when, when, when we have, um, you know, any kind of activity and it cushions the vertebrae essentially. And sometimes that cushion or that disc can move and it can move from back to back and forth or side to side and it can cause nerves that are kind of coming out of the vertebrae to get compressed and those nerves and can then cause what what sometimes you hear about sciatic pain radiating pain down your leg numbness tingling 
all these abnormal sensations or dysthesias. So Crystal developed something that was a pretty significant herniation because we all get a little bit of movement sometimes, you know, or maybe a slight, you know, a herniated disc or a slip disc. But hers was significant enough that the orthopedic surgeon thought she needed surgery. And so being 29, I wasn't ready to do surgery. So I tried physical therapy for about six months and still like that hip pain, which was caused by the herniated disc bulging on my sciatic nerve. It just, I couldn't shake it. And finally, um, I made an appointment with him and I said, let's do it. So let's do mm-hmm. the surgery. And so we scheduled the surgery for about a month out. And mm-hmm. let's see, about two weeks before my surgery, I did a yoga class. And I remember thinking in the yoga class, oh, I'm really going to stretch. This is really good for my back. I'm going to stretch really, really well. And then I went home. I went to bed. I woke up in the morning and I had lost sensation in my genitals and essentially all down the left side of my leg and into my foot. So I didn't have any sensation for going to the bathroom. It was how scary. Yeah, it was super scary. I had no I had no idea this could be something that could happen. Well, it was not warned to you? No. Mm-mm. Oh wow. Okay. No. Nope. Yep. No, I know. In most um, orthopedists, they'll yeah, you'll t- they'll tell you that there is a risk for that. Did not was not warned. And then actually, so I called my doctor's office, my surgeon's office, because I knew this wasn't right, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I couldn't get a hold of them. It was a Friday, and so how scary. So how long was that going on for? I didn't get a call back on Friday. So I went through the whole weekend like that, actually. And oh, so more than 48 hours. It was more than 48 hours. And mm-hmm. I started to develop some really severe pain in my lower back as well. So I was taking a bunch of a leave. It would help for a little bit, but then I'd go back to like shooting pain in my lower back, plus the sensation mm-hmm. of not having a sensation in my leg and in my genitals. And I felt like I was going so scary. going to the bathroom all the time because I was so worried about, you know, peeing my pants to be, you know, right. to right. be candid. And so I finally got a call on Monday morning and his, uh, I think she was his PA. She was, she said, Crystal, go get in a cab, get to Northwestern Memorial and we'll admit you and we'll do the surgery. And so this was about a little less than two weeks when I was supposed to have the surgery. So I remember Mm -hmm. being so scared. I just, you know, packed up my stuff and got in a cab. Mm -hmm. I told my roommate at the time, I'm like, here I go, I'm going to go. And uh, yeah, my parents live in Michigan and they drove, you know, I let them know what was happening and they drove and they Mm -hmm. were able Mm -hmm. to do the surgery on Tuesday. So it was kind of a it was Friday to Tuesday when they, yeah. I'll pause for mm-hmm. a second and explain why it was so important that Crystal knew that these symptoms happened, that she needed to go to the emergency room, which she was not counseled on. And unfor- and that's very unfortunate because cauda equina syndrome is, a, is considered a surgical emergency. I'm not an orthopedist. I'm not a, you know, a, a spine surgeon, but, um, you know, that's something we're taught in, in the medical school setting as well. And remember, I told you the cauda equina are those nerve endings that converge at the end of your spinal cord. 
And so there are a number of things that can either narrow the canal or put pressure on the canal. It can be a large herniated disc. It can be, um, you know, a stenosis or narrowing, narrowing of the canal. It can be a tumor. It can be an infection, an inflammation, a fall, an arterial venous malformation, any of that and potentially more could cause what's called caught out syndrome. And if you have a big enough herniation or big enough pressure, it can put enough pressure on those nerve roots that, um, you know, you get some nerve damage. Remember, the nerves that are feeding into the pelvis control your bladder sensation, control your sphincters down there, control um, the anesthesia and the feeling of, of around your buttocks, around your vulva, around your legs. And so um, some of the prime symptoms is it can lead to urinary retention or or complete loss of urine where you can't control your urine, you can't control um, your your bowel function, so complete loss of that. Well, another potential is saddle anesthesia, which is basically numbness of the of the area where you're sitting, and then weakness or even paralysis of the lower extremities, which is kind of what um, you know Crystal was facing with, and can eventually lead to, you know, sexual dysfunction because, again, those sacral nerves and those nerve roots kind of feed into the the pelvis, which, you know, end up feeding into your vulva, your clitoris, your pelvic floor, the whole thing. And so she lost sensation in her legs. She lost sensation where she was sitting. She was having urinary urgency and, you know, potentially could have been incontinent. And so um, at least what is traditionally taught, uh, again, I'm not a spine surgeon, so and and this none of this is really meant to be medical advice for anyone listening, but just as a as an awareness builder, that you know you should go emergently to the emergency room, and you're supposed to have that surgery within 48 hours before causing like potentially permanent nerve damage, um, which unfortunately did not happen for Crystal. Yeah, so um, they did the surgery and. My orthopedist said, you know, apparently the bulge had gotten more severe. So they ended Mm -hmm. up removing the disc completely to take that Mm -hmm. pressure off my sciatic nerve. So, but Mm -hmm. unfortunately, he told me to maybe wait about six months to see if I would get feeling, you know, back. And I just, I never did. Yeah. Meaning, where did you not get feeling back? anywhere. Like he thought that maybe the sensation in my foot, it would start on my foot where I'd start to feel more and it would travel Mm -hmm. up my leg and then make it to my pelvic region. But I just, what I felt that morning is Mm -hmm. essentially what I, how I still feel today. So, yeah. And so that, um, is, you know, very interesting because obviously without sensation in your vulva, if you have any kind of vulvar abnormalities, you're not going to feel it. Mm-hmm. If without that sensation in your clitoris, you may not be able to have a clitoral um, orgasm, right? And and so you're losing sensation, you're losing sexual function. You may not feel as much in when you're getting uh, having penetrative intercourse. And you can tell us as much as you want in terms of that. But obviously, you know, um, this was building and building concern for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can tell us, Crystal, what you what you did next. Yeah. So um, like Dr. Ramon said, um, yeah, I did. I lost essentially sexual function. You know, I'll be mm-hmm. honest, I haven't been able to have an orgasm fully since that happened. Mm-hmm. And also just um, I had to learn to listen to my body and figure out when I needed to use the restroom by just 
feeling full instead mm-hmm. of having those normal triggers that we normally have. So, oh gosh, it was probably about 2016. I kind of just was living with this. I was very numb. I didn't feel mm-hmm. I didn't feel any pain. What Crystal, tell us about your urinary function and your bowel function. Do you think that Yeah, urinary function and bowel function, I have to really think mm-hmm. to to get my urinary function to mm-hmm. go. The other, sometimes I have to stimulate like my lower back, you know, to get um yeah, to get that to come mm-hmm, out, you mm-hmm, know, in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'll be honest, when I first had my surgery, I like had to wear a diaper because I wasn't attuned to the, you know, my signals now. Actually, jumping ahead a little bit, I did have some pelvic floor therapy through Dr. Rahman, and that has been able to that's helped somewhat mm-hmm. some of my control and all mm-hmm. that. But every once in a while, if I have a lot of coffee, I might, you know, not go to the bathroom and, you know, have, have an accident. accident. Yeah. So it's still, even to this day, mm-hmm. you know, I have to be really thoughtful about, about that um, and make sure I'm going to the bathroom right. proactively here and there. Right. So, okay. yeah. So in about 2016, a friend and I, um, we got really into spinning (laughs) and I, I loved it. I was going about three days a week. And one thing about spinning, people would complain about how like their bottoms hurt, you know, during the class, but I never had that problem (laughs) because I didn't have, um, really much sensation there. So I loved it. I could stand up, get down, stand up, get down. And I think as a result of that, I started to develop some clitoral pain, Mm -hmm. like when I put pressure on it. So meaning when you touched over the clitoris or like your clothes, if you wore some clothes that touched the clitoris. Yeah. If I wore jeans that were really tight, that like kind of rubbed on the clitoris, Mm -hmm. it would be painful. If I touched it, if I put pressure, going to the bathroom, like wiping, I could feel it. But day to day, it wasn't painful. And I think what got me was just, you know, sex in general is not like ultimately satisfying for me, but I don't want, I can still have fun. I just don't want to be, you know, in pain while it's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It got, I'm at a point where we just avoid that area, Mm -hmm. you know, avoid the clitoris. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I was having that clitoral pain and I knew something wasn't right. Like that was, that was clearly not normal and probably had to do with my nerves or maybe an injury, the spinning coming on the bike saddle hard. So I started um, Googling, looking for a gynecologist that might have some some knowledge with uh, lumbar and nerves. And I happened to come across Dr. Rahman. And that was one of her attributes listed on her website. So I just, you know, had a leap of faith and just went and made an appointment. Yeah, with Dr. Rahman. So. Yeah. And so Crystal and I have been on a journey um, for at least for over a year now. Uh, she has, you know, a combination of of dysthesia, which is you know abnormal clitoral sensation, but she also has hyposthesia, which is really like no sensation. So it's a very complex situation because some of her nerves, you know, are not doing anything, and then some are sort of hyper firing, and 
And so we've been taking a regional approach. Um, I think you also had some foot-related pain at some point. Is that correct? Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, I have um, at night, I tend to get like nerve kind of spasms Mm -hmm. in my left foot, which is, again, like that kind of acute sensation where the rest of it is numb, but then there's pain in my foot. So similar to the clitoris, I guess. Yeah. And so... In our journey, that we're, and and it's a continuous journey because this is obviously we're dealing with almost permanent nerve damage from you know the the caudo quina syndrome, and we're trying to you know um, get to a point where she is able to you know have some enjoyable sexual activity, and we've made a lot of progress. I think you know she's gotten uh, again. I told you I was married to um, an interventional pain sports medicine specialist. Dr. Sajad Murtaza, and he's taught me a lot about the spine, and he's been able to help Crystal with a number of blocks um, from the level of the spine that I think has made her quality of life um, better. Yeah, absolutely. Because I would get some lower back pain as well, and he's been able to really help with that. And then the other issues that we're dealing with is, and uh, I will do a separate podcast on your on the vulvar vestibule, which is the area between the inner labia minora, um, what we refer to as heart's line, to the hymenal remnant extending up to the urethra and at the perineum. And so this a special piece special piece of tissue is the concern for a lot of patients when they get um, insertional pain with sex because there are a number of factors can cause it to get inflamed, either, you know, chronic infections or increased nerve density in this area or hormonal changes. And these hormonal changes or deficiencies can be related to a small subset of patients that use birth control pills or postpartum patients who are breastfeeding, patients who have had their ovaries removed, patients in menopause, patients who have breast cancer who maybe have gotten some hormonal suppression. And so that vulvar vestibule can get very inflamed causing pain. And so I remember one of the first things I talked to about Crystal was like, wow, your vulvar vestibule is super ra-. I mean, and I would do what we do a Q-tip test, which is a tap test with a soft part of the cotton Q-tip around the vestibule to see if, if people have pain there. And I said, in an, in anyone with normal sensation, if I touched your vestibule right now, you'd probably jump off the table, but she never had that. Do you remember that Crystal? When I first was like, wow, your vestibule. Oh Yeah. And so, you know, um, that was one thing that I felt like we worked on. We have worked on whether or not, you know, clitoral adhesions have been involved in that clitoral pain, and it didn't seem to be the source. Again, we're doing regional-based approach. More than likely, it's the peripheral nerve, like the pudendal nerve, but haven't been able to really get a balance on trying to, you know, tone down the nerve ending while giving you sensation at the same time. And that is, I think, the complicated situation. So we're trying some new novel approaches, different blocks, prolotherapy, and potentially, you know, even PRP will be attempted. But, you know, one of the, and she, I think it's now isolated just to the left side, right, Crystal? Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. It is, yeah. And we've gotten some success with certain things, but we're just not at a place where she's, you know, actually like, I'm having an orgasm or I'm, you know, really enjoying sex, but we're going to get there because there's always new research coming out, always new types of therapy to try. And again, because um, some of this is is very unique and not a lot of research is, is being done, we're going to use other nerve endings and peripheral nerves as an example and try to do some of these more um, 
innovative techniques between us and interventional pain, but she's also seeing pelvic floor therapy. And how's that working, Crystal? Yeah, that's been uh, really beneficial. I know initially I didn't have a lot of string Mm -hmm. in my pelvic floor region and I didn't know, you know, I had no idea that I didn't. So because I have no sensation. So that's been um, a big help just day to day for my lifestyle of having more control with my like urinary function. And yeah. And I feel like your pelvic floor therapist, Grace is incredible. And she, Mm -hmm. Grace Preet, she'll be on the show soon. Yeah, she she was really she's like, Crystal, we're going to you're going to have an orgasm like she gave me some books, you know, she's so knowledgeable. And I think what I appreciate most about Dr. Rahman and her staff is, you know, like they haven't given up on me. They're willing to try different therapies and it makes me feel, oh, gosh, so supported because I think before my experience with my orthopedist, he was kind of like, you know what, you're just going to have to live with this. Mm -hmm. And I guess I thought, okay, you know, when I was in my thirties and then when this pain, clitoral pain happened, I'm like, this is stupid. Like I need to, you know, Mm -hmm. try to figure out what's going on. There's people that can help me. And, um, I'm just grateful we're on this journey together. Absolutely. And when, when Crystal, ha- after Crystal has her orgasm, we will have a follow-up show and talk about how we got her there. But we are using some novel therapeutic approaches. And my husband says this about her all the time, like he'll do anything to help Crystal. He always says that like, but I think that, you know, one of the the best things that I've seen as a patient from Crystal is, you know, she's willing to try a lot of stuff too. She understands the, the um, landscape of sexual medicine is sort of an evolving field that has never had a lot of research or emphasis, just like most of women's health, but specifically in all of women's health, probably the least amount that's been really vested in. And so with Ishwish, with Dr. Erwin Goldstein and some of the really prominent members, we are learning more and doing more and trying more. So I do, and I, and I like the fact that she doesn't feel defeated, that she still, you know, after, so after so much, I would say medical induced trauma doesn't really have ill feelings toward the people that, you know, maybe could have helped her navigate this journey a little bit better. Right. Like, I feel like we're all human beings in medicine and we all, you know, learn and have evolved in terms of how, you know, we understand the, the different traumas that we put on to patients sometimes. But also, you know, the understanding that, you know, sexual health is health, that sexual health matters. And so you know, when you're not even given as an example that, you know, sexual function can go away with these conditions, even though at the end of the day, you know, it may not have changed things, you know, maybe it would have changed your mindset a little bit that like, okay, I didn't even realize this was a possibility, but now I do. And so a lot of this is, you know, unfortunately stuff that does happen and, and, you know, different patients react differently to different surgeries and different situations. But what I love about Crystal is that she's very positive and she's always, I'm always like, well, we could try this. There's some data on this. And, you know, she's always like, okay, let's try it if you think so, Dr. Ramon. So we're going to get there and then you guys will have a follow-up with with her. (laughs) But, you know, I really wanted to emphasize the understanding, number one, that 
you know, the spinal cord, the back, the brain, they're all really involved in sexual function. And when we're going down the route of trying to help our back, trying to help our sciatic pain, trying to help, you know, just always in the back of your mind, remember that sex for so many couples is is really a crucial part of the relationship. It makes you, it has so many um, added benefits and it can really cause a big amount of distress and a large distress for a lot a lot of patients when they cannot you know achieve the level of activity that they've been in in the past and so mm-hmm. understanding the complexities of that and understanding and having awareness of sort of you know how our um our spine and our brain and our cauterquina and the pelvic floor and the end organs and the peripheral nerves it's just like a dance that has to occur in certain ways to make everything go right. And if one thing is out of whack, then it can really mess up the whole system. But, uh, you know, I really credit her so much because she really does have a a very nice attitude about this and very positive, optimistic. And that's how I know we're going to be able to help her as well. (laughs) Crystal, do you have any other comments to make? Yeah, I would just say, you know, like Dr. Rahman said, if you have injury to your back or, you know, you're kind of weighing a procedure just in the back of your mind, remember that it's all connected, Mm -hmm. you know? So think about if you delay something, it could have an adverse effect in an area you're not expecting. And I wish I had known a little bit more. And I would just say, do your research. When I was diagnosed with cauda equina, I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, look into it. And luckily I have like, a, fortunately, a more mild case, even though it doesn't seem mm-hmm. like it, but I know people are in some severe pain. So, so do your research mm-hmm. and be your advocate and look for those people, you know, that can, can really help. Right. So that's what I'd say. So. Thank you so much for, you know, bringing this topic to light. I think that awareness is always the first step. And, you know, your journey may be different than Crystal's and everyone's journey is different when it comes to their medical history and, you know, their genetics and, you know, their race has an effect on everything as well. So I just like to elucidate different cases in this uh, podcast as well so that we can see, you know, how things evolve for different patients and hopefully how things get better as well. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you, Crystal, for being on the show today and can't wait to have you back whenever it is. One week after that first orgasm, we will have you back. So I will be okay. there. I will Amazing. Be there. <laughs> well, thank you guys again. And, you know, until next time, you know, we will uh, delve deep into another topic and, you know, hopefully continuing to educate so that you can advocate. That's it. Gyno Girl out. Take care. If you have a second, please subscribe to this podcast. I'd love for you to be a follower and learn as much as you can about the things that we're going to talk about with all the people on our journey. Please review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. These reviews really help. Review us, comment, tell me what else you want to hear to get more information. My practice website is www.cgcchicago.com. My website is for Gyno Girl is www.gynogirltv.com. My Instagram is Gyno Girl, so please follow me for some good content. Additionally, I have a YouTube channel, Gyno Girl TV, where I love to talk about all these things on YouTube. And please subscribe to my newsletter, Gyno Girl News, which will be available on my website. I will see you next time. <laughs>